This is the Maxlexia podcast. Here, it's all dyslexia, all the time. A place to explore it in all its complex beauty, changing the way we and the world perceive the dyslexic mind. I'm Lori Catella, your host, and I'm ready to help guide you to see and celebrate your own dyslexic brilliance. Together, we will change the world. everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of the Max Lexia podcast. I really hope everybody's doing well. I know this is a very long lasting, difficult time to get through and hopefully people can find their silver lining of something that can at least um, give you some hope and, and keep you going through the days. I know for me, being able to have the time to devote to my Max Lexia project has been for me the best thing to try to keep going and and make the best of it, but it really is a difficult time and there's a lot of uncertainty coming up. My latest blog post last week was really about the potential for very exciting things to come up in terms of education because we really don't know what's gonna happen. Most schools, at least in Canada and the US, I believe are giving, um, asking to be given sort of a three-part approach of possibilities because we really don't know where things are going. I really think it could be a very exciting time to make some drastic changes in the way that things are delivered and how they're delivered and how we assess student learning and the different approaches. And I really think dyslexic students can be the leaders and finally shine in academic settings because it will require a lot of the skills and abilities of dyslexics. Uh, that could be a very exciting thing. I know that being said, that it how much work it is and how difficult it will be to provide an online virtual platform of e-learning that is like nothing we've seen before. So for all the teachers out there working through this, good for you. I wish you I wish you much strength and getting through this. But it could be a very exciting time for not just the students but also for the educators. So what I'm working on right now is my Educator Excellence series, my satellite series on Maxlexia, which is three parts. Uh, Part one, uh, recognition, which it would be ways to recognize potential dyslexic students in the classroom. And for me, it's mostly through the lens of math, which I think is interesting because a lot of this stuff comes about through um, early troubles with reading and writing and spelling and those kind of things. And I have a, I have a really... A bunch of very interesting ways of perhaps picking up on this in the math setting. A second part is to optimize. So optimizing the way we teach students with dyslexia, particularly in math, but it can it can be applicable to a variety of different uh, curriculum. And then maximizing dyslexic performance in an academic setting. So those three are coming up very soon. Working on them right now. That said, for today, for the podcast, I'm going to split it in three parts as well. I'm going to start with today, part one, early academic trauma. Uh, Part two will be some moving forward from that for some students into some junior college situations and how they've made that transition. And then part three will be some university updates of how things have settled down and being able to move forward through this um, you know, school being a very emotional, a very emotional piece for for most dyslexic students. So I think it's very interesting. 
As many different stories as there are, there is always what I have found to be a common narrative in terms of people's academic experiences, and certainly with early academic trauma, how that affects self-confidence and self-esteem in a dyslexic student really does resonate and carry through with many, 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 many people's experiences. So what I've done is I've sort of made a compilation of a few people who will tell the common story through the arc of the narrative of the early dyslexic experiences. So for today, we have Emma, who describes rather disturbingly, and I remember when she first told me a few years ago, uh, that often the dyslexic students, quote unquote, the dyslexic students were kicked out of math class. So I will let her tell that story in her own words. Followed up by Eitan. He's a very interestingly, very dyslexic profile student who has extremely intuitive and capable math abilities, but who tends to do it all in his head, figure it out in his head, and I see this all the time. And I think it's very difficult for teachers to recognize, well, where is this coming from? What kind of work did you do? How did you get there? You haven't shown the steps. Because for the most part, most of us, when we're doing math, tend to work in the process and show the steps and be, be able to show what we've done in order to get to the answer. Many, many, many dyslexic students have incredible intuitive math abilities, which they work out in their heads and then put the answer down. So I've known a lot of students who have been accused of cheating merely because they're, in terms of their grades, potentially failing math, unable to show the steps of the process, and yet getting it correct, the answers right. So that's a very difficult thing to experience, and Eitan has a story of that, followed by Oakley, who you can just hear it in his voice. He's really defeated and crushed in terms of his self-confidence and self-esteem, and he continuously second-guesses himself, and he overthinks things, and he has self-doubt, and he'll erase his work. Even if it was perfectly executed and he got the right answer, he will erase it because he doubts that he's gotten it right, which is really sad to see. Now, over the course of the years, what I do is definitely building up self-esteem and self-confidence. We will get there with Oakley, but right now in middle school, you can just hear it in his voice, really defeated, and so he describes that experience and so here we go, the common narrative of early academic experiences told through a compilation of students and um, Emma Etan and Oakley, here we go, enjoy. I do recall, I believe it's you, mm. I believe it's you that has stories of math class in elementary school? Elementary school or was it? Oh, was it elementary or was it middle school? school? When I would get, like, kicked out of the class, yeah, yeah middle school. That was you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, like, but I remember some of the words you used. Let's see if you, let's see if you come up with the same words again. But what was going on? So this is middle school at this point now. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know, we just get kicked out. Like, any, all the dyslexic kids, when we ask questions, she'd be like, go outside. Like. And I, because I remember you saying to me specifically, the dyslexic kids are getting kicked out into the hallway. Yeah. Like, Unreal. I never told my mom until the summer when two the two other kids were in that class transferred. Oh, and then you were alone. And I my mom like was like maybe you should transfer. Yes. And then 
I did not. <laughs> Emma did not transfer. That was an ongoing conversation. Well, first of all, do you know, have any idea what, that, why you were kicked out of math class? Like, yeah. I couldn't... That woman just, like, had issues. I'm like... Yeah. She's still there today, but... Right. She was, like, unhappy in her life. Yeah. And, like, just took it out on us. And were you asking questions? Like, what precipitated? Yeah. Well, I said, I'm sure I was, like, maybe not the most, like favorite of everyone's students but right I, my attention span was this the same span as like a nap like I would do it yeah and we're done yeah and so then I have to ask the question over and over again right someone else just asked I'm like that didn't go I just explained that yeah <laughs> go outside but did she ever say the dyslexic students go outside no never no it was never like specifically just like three people would always end up in the hall it was always the same three. Yeah, same three kids. And you all were dyslexic. Yeah. Yeah. We were all dyslexic. I think we all had the same tutor at the time, too. Right. Uh, so you kind of knew each other. So you yeah. knew each other's profile at that yeah. point. Yeah. Yeah. My mom, like, after that, we went into the school and I was never allowed to be, like, that teacher was never allowed to teach me or my sisters. Yeah. So, Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. That was inappropriate behavior on the part of the teacher. Mm-hmm. And, and listen, I, I give them credit sometimes because they don't get a lot of training in how to deal with variety of learning styles in terms of math specifically which is why I'm trying to do what I'm doing with mathlexia and going to present at math conferences because really it's a huge thing and Mm -hmm. you you have no training in in teacher college so yeah but the way to deal with it is not to like send you all off into the hallway (laughs) that's crazy I was winning I just got to hang in the hallway for an hour you're like yay I don't have to go to math class oh man oh man so that was you I was thinking about that the other night and I was like I that was Emma. Yeah. I think that was Emma. So thank you, Emma, for sharing that with us. Now, when I first heard this story, literally my head blew up. I can't believe that that would be an approach that someone would use in terms of recognizing that there are students who are not keeping up with the class or who are struggling or who are asking questions a little too frequently and sort of throwing them all out in the hallway And I remember when Emma told me this way back, like I think it was grade eight. So we're going back, you know, seven, seven years or so. And I remember when she told me the story first and literally she, she said all the dyslexics kids get thrown out in the hallway during math class. That certainly is indicative and similar to many, many, many of my students who have early academic traumas in the, in their school lives that, that affects them. So next we're going to hear from Eitan. And he's a new student of mine. I think I've only worked with him once. And this was the second time I was working with him. And literally this kid, very, very dyslexic profile. And he just, every time he talks, it's just like, I just want to record everything because he's saying everything that I've always said and want to to put out there. So here's another experience of his that sort of shows where a teacher is doubting him and his capacity to do math and almost... Well, I mean, a lot of my students have been accused of cheating because they'll just put the the answer down without showing any work. So here's Eitan with with his story. So you, um, we have the, the fan on as well, but say say how you say your name again, please. Eitan. Eitan. Okay, I really like that. Okay, go ahead, because you're, you're like on fire right now with material for me. So like in Tech 1, they we were doing more complicated fractions, and then I was like, I'm doing this all in my head. She's like, no, 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 you have to write this down. So she gives me a quiz, and I get the right answer, and she thought I was, like, cheating, even though it was, like, far away from everyone else. And then she's like, no, 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 And then she gives me an even harder one to do. I'm like, 
I don't even know what to do. And she's like, haha, because you're not showing you work. I'm like, that's definitely not what just happened. Wow. And it was like the most strange experience that I've ever had because I'm so used to just like looking at something, figuring it out, writing the answer down. Then like this was like, okay, this is clearly something that you have to show your work on or else you get it wrong. Right. But, right. And and you're, I mean, that's what I'm saying because again, tell me your pro, your learning profile. You're primarily like your learning style. What are some of the things that you, as they would say, have? What do you have? Like dyslexia. Yeah. ADD. Yeah. Anxiety. Yeah. That's it. A lot of layers. And when I when I use the term mathlexia, I I use mathlexia as in all these layers come together in a sort of mathlexic piece. Although, I, I it's fat because fa- your marks in math are what. 89. Yeah. You're up in the high 80s, uh, low 90s for the most part. And I love this because you just saw what I just did. I had no idea. I had to use the calculator because I don't like to think. I say this all the time. Thinking thinking aloud is allowed, but there's no thinking aloud, if you know what I mean. I don't like to think in math. I like to, you know, you just crunch the algebra and the answer emerges from the algebra. But because otherwise it hurts my head. But you're obviously one of these, and I say it in my presentation all the time, intuit, highly capable of math, very intuitive and very creative in your math abilities. Yeah, sometimes with math problems, I feel like uh, one of those like already fixed Rubik's cubes with like the elastics in, and like right when you take out the elastics, it just like all fixes into place. There you go. And so, I don't know. That's what it feels like when I'm doing a lot of problems. It just all works out in my brain when I'm thinking of it. I usually don't have to write that much down to figure it all out. That's so amazing. That just literally gave me goosebumps. No, but that but that's amazing. Like, I, and I love your visual of that, where you're you're seeing it almost like as a almost complete Rubik's something that you're just going to go and then that's it. Yeah, because people usually have to write down like this, and then they box it, and then this, and they box it, and then they like write down all their equations. And like, okay, I've already memorized this equation. Just plug in the numbers, do it backwards, and then you figure it out. And then they're like, wait, you didn't write any of that down. So I'm like, okay. And then when I'm helping someone with an example, I'm like pointing at stuff. Right. And then I'm just doing the math in my head. And so they're like typing in the calculator. And I find it strange how they like have the attention span to write all this down. But Isn't know. that fantastic? I knew, I've only met you once before. And I know when I started talking to you that you have, you, you are a bank of information for me. To, 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 to gather out of, out of your brain because that is truly spectacular, by the way. I, I'm, the, I'm the type of person who does box, box, writing it all down, working through the process over and over, having no clue where it's going to end up. Like, I don't, I don't see it coming till the end. I'm like, oh, shit, it's 39. <laughs> you yeah. knew that. You knew that way back when you looked at the picture on the, on the page. Right? For the most, like, yeah. in, a, in a word problem or something, some kind of geometry. So, and I always got, you know, pretty much 100% every math course I ever took in my life. So, I would be perceived as being better in math yeah. than somebody who is not getting 100. However, I think your math abilities in your brain just naturally are stronger than, would be stronger than mine. Yeah, on my exam, I could have ended up with, like, a 96 because there was only one question I didn't understand. A lot of them were just, like, incomplete, but not because I didn't show work during. It was just at the end. So, like, there was one question where I didn't finish factoring, and there was another question where I 
uh, wrote like a proof that wouldn't be considered wrong. It just wasn't what they were looking for. Um, but it it wasn't because I didn't understand it. So, but it still costed like a lot of marks. So what was the, what was your grade in the end? Eighty six, eighty nine. One of those two. Like I wasn't mad with it because it was still like, our class average was like low eighties, so it was fine because it was still above average. But I don't know. I felt it was strange because like it wasn't because I didn't write enough down. It's just I, I don't know. I didn't see it. It's really interesting though because I mean that that's. What you just said there is, again, you're speaking my language. I love this because you did something that was probably more brilliant than what I would think up. I would think up the very straight and narrow way to go about this and come up with my... Was it a conjecture question? Uh, no, we're only... We're not there yet. You're not conjectures. So something you came up with that wasn't wrong. Yeah. But it wasn't what they were looking for. Yeah. Do you know that, like, literally that's in my presentation? Because I literally say to students all the time, because I'm very lucky to work one-on-one with people, so I can ask, I can look and go, I have no clue what you're doing. But then I can say, well, so, like, show me what's going on here. Show me what's going on. And you explain it, and I go, 99.9% of the time, I look at you guys and I go, wow, that's not wrong. Yeah. And I use those words specifically because I'm not saying, oh, wow, you're right. I'm saying you're not wrong because you're often told you're wrong. Yeah. Right? When I've, it's... Been, I've been giving, like, tests. So I have a math tutor that I go to every Wednesday just because she gives me a lot of examples and she, like, explains to me things in, like, several different ways that I don't understand the first mm-hmm. time. And so she gives me these test questions and I, like, write, like, a few numbers down on the paper and I just figure out all in my head on the calculator. And she's like, okay, how do you get to that? And I, like, fix... And, like, I just explained it to her, like, you do this, and then you multiply that, and then divide by that, and subtract it by that. And she was like, wait, what? <laughs> and I was like, I don't know, check my calculator replay, I guess. <laughs> who's, who's paying who in this situation? <laughs> I don't know. I find, sometimes I find myself correcting, like, packages because I'm just doing it, and then she's like, wait, I don't know how I ended up getting this answer before. Wow. But most of the time she's right. Mm-hmm. I find myself correcting a few for stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, because you're, you're seeing it all very clearly in your head, you're probably seeing it more quickly, too. Yeah. That's fascinating. And that, to me, is the power of the dyslexic mind. Well, I understand the correlation between, like, being dyslexic and, like, having these, like, hidden skills. Well, usually, usually with, like, autism you usually like struggle in one thing then like you excel in others but I don't understand how that works with dyslexia well what you're just describing to me but is that because of dyslexia or is it because I of believe so I believe so because I do see this over and over again now again like I said to me maybe is it dyslexia or it's just the combination of things that I've called mathlexia perhaps but but dyslexia is a huge piece of that and I think over and over again my dyslexic students are very, very capable of doing exactly what you're talking about. And unfortunately, the, the, the disconnect between that and, and the fact that you're f- half the time people are failing math because A, they're not showing their work, or B, they didn't do it the way that they were so the teacher wanted them to do it. Like, that to me isn't, isn't a weakness in math. Yeah. Right? And so the way your brain is wired with the dyslexia, I think, is what allows you to do this brilliance in your, all in your head. Do you see that or not? Do you see it as No, any? I see it, especially, like, in math, because 
when I go, one time my math teacher was correcting a test, and there was all these people that didn't write down formal proof because they didn't say that you needed one. But like I just wrote a proof because I just remembered in my head like similarity, write a proof. But for them, like it didn't click because they didn't say write a proof, so they lost like they basically got like probably like one out of six or one out of four mm-hmm. just because they didn't write a proof and. Like, I didn't want to say anything, because then I wouldn't, and she probably wouldn't have liked me, but I was like, none of, not, like, the math that they did wasn't wrong, it was just, mm. what they didn't do was right. And so I don't like, it's just the system, the school system that they put in place where it's like, this or nothing. It's not like, this is right, but you didn't put in this, which exactly. is strange. But I say that all the time. I mean, yeah. to, to me, what is what is disabled is the system because if we're only addressing assessing somebody's capability and, and knowledge and capacity to do whatever, math, history, science, English, whatever, but in, in the case that I focus on math, and if we're not tapping into the fact that you do have a mathematical brilliance and yet people are failing math with that, then something's wrong with the system, the way we're setting it up and, and the way we're, that we're you know, going and finding out what you what you can and can't do. Yeah, but this isn't only in math. This is in, like, every subject. Like, history, you're... Like, whether you go into grade 11 is based off if you can memorize, like, a certain... Like, a period of, like, 200 years. hmm And similar with science, but, like, less of it. But I, I don't understand it. Yeah, well, that, that, that comes into play with a lot of the mem- rote memorization yeah. issues and stuff, too. Which can play a lot into the attentional issues as well. But certainly in terms of the mathematical brilliance, it's very interesting. So... Thank you for sharing your brilliance. No problem. Now, obviously, when kids are experiencing these kind of things in a school setting, it's only going to have an effect, and it's going to be a negative effect. It's only going to it's only going to serve to 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 cut them down in terms of their self esteem and their self confidence. So, my number one goal is to not just uh, well is to build up and then reboot and then maintain self-esteem and self-confidence, which can definitely really, really actually just reboot their entire lives, not just academic, but, but beyond. So, and so now we have Oakley, who's showing you some of the impact some of these things have in terms of self-confidence and how it impacts his performance on a test or exam where he doesn't have confidence in what he's studied and being able to show that on the test. Here we go with Oakley. Okay, Oakley, describe again what you just said. What did you just explain to me in a test that happens? Like whenever I get my, I write like my first answer. Mm-hmm. So whenever I write my first answer, I do it. You were, you were just in a math yeah. test where this happened. Oh yeah, so on, the, on my math test what happened, I was like, I was, I wrote, I wrote a formula, but I, like that was the one I thought at first, but then I second guessed myself and I thought it was the, I was thinking, oh, what if it's this? And then I do that, and then I switch again and do that, and I switch it to the wrong one. And then I knew it was wrong by the time the test was over. And I just, I do this all the time on all my tests. All the time. Mm-hmm. Why do you second guess yourself? Because, I don't really know. I, because, I don't know, my brain, whenever I'm not, I don't even know how to explain it. I just mm. didn't. You weren't sure if you were sure. But yeah. you, ki- you kind of... I knew I was sure, but like I wasn't sure. So it's more of a confidence thing than a knowledge thing. 
Like, I know, like, before the test, I know I'll know everything. Mm -hmm. And I'll go into the test, I know it. And even though I know it's right, I'm always thinking to myself, either way, oh, what if it's this, what if it's that? Mm -hmm. And then I think, and it's just... And then you erase stuff that was right? Yeah. And then? And then I write the wrong one, and I know as soon as I, I've done it, and the test is over, I know it's wrong. Mm -hmm. Oakley, we got to stop doing that. Yeah. Does that happen to you for, for always? You've definitely, always done that? Definitely this year. Mm-hmm. I don't remember last year. Definitely more this year. And even when I know everything going into the test, I get I still get nervous and I'm like... I don't know how to explain it, but I, I just... I do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because you're well prepared when you go in. Yeah. Right? Do you get really, 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 really anxious, nervous going in to yeah. a test? Yeah. I, I, I was so confident going into the right. test. Like, okay. I knew it. I, like, I knew everything. Like, even when I know everything. I does just, it does it freeze up? Because we call that, like, in here I call that freeze and fail. See right there? Hashtag freeze and fail. Meaning that your brain literally freezes up because you're so, yeah. you're so nervous and worked yeah. up that your brain stops functioning. And then, and then, you know, technically yeah. you could fail. But is it that, or is it just that you're self-doubting yourself? Like, do you, do you remember? So, I think I'm, I'm not being confident. Like, I'm yeah. so confident going in. And I think, like, I don't, there's so many questions where I knew. I knew it. But then when I look at the question, I almost forget that I was studying that. And I think that it might be something mm -hmm. else and not that. What is it that flips the switch for you? What is that switch that flips? Because I hear this all the time, and I'm trying to figure out what is the, you know, you go it, you've prepared, you study, you've worked so hard, you do know the stuff, you go in, and then what flips? What flips you to think, oh, I have no idea what this is, or it can't be what I studied, it's something else? Is it something in the I questions? Think, I think about, fine, I think, I think about stuff I've done before are in other equations, mm -hmm. different type of math, if it's algebra, like a different type of algebra. And I confuse myself, so, and I'm thinking, oh, maybe it's that's how you do it instead mm -hmm. of that. So you are overthinking it, aren't you? Yeah. You're kind like of overthinking it. Like that's exactly, I overthink it. Yeah. And how many times do you erase the good stuff and put, put the wrong one? Quite. I do, like, often. Mm -hmm. I don't do them all the time. I do it on a few. I always do it on the... I seem to do it on, like, the easiest ones, like, the most mm -hmm. obvious ones. Mm -hmm. But because of that, I'm, like, in my head, even sometimes, like, this is too easy. Like, it has to be something else. So. That's a confidence thing again. Yeah. Yeah. And Just because you find I it easy, you think, well, if I find it easy, then I've got to be wrong. Something like that. Yeah. And I just overthink it. Overthink it. Yeah. We're going to stop doing this this year, hopefully. So as you heard, it really did impact him in terms of his confidence to be able to do math and to be able to perform on the test that he was writing, where he second-guessed himself, where he overthought the problem and went back and erased work. And I see this all the time, breaks my heart, that students will erase, erase, erase things that were actually correct because they, they would say to themselves, well, if I understood this and I get it, 
then obviously I can't be right because I found that easy. So obviously their self-confidence and, and self-esteem and in their abilities to do math is definitely is definitely compromised. So that was Oakley. And now we're going to talk a little further down the line and this arc of this, you know, as I said, sort of a um, common narrative. We're going to look at Noah, who's discussing his applications to university and the fact that he did not want to disclose to the university that he had dyslexia and some learning profile issues that were uh, requiring of accommodations. And so here we go with Noah explaining that. So Noah, I did want to go back to one thing that you had mentioned to me before was um, in this process of this application, that you really, you've, you've made a decision where you want to go and what works for you and you went and visited and everything, right? Yeah. And everything was, was good. And I remember at one point you said, but I didn't tell them like I have any learning disabilities. Yeah, I, I didn't. Because why? Because it's just not something I want them to like influence their decision negatively about like during the acceptance or like non-acceptance. Like I didn't want them to be like, oh, like two people are even, but like this kid needs like, a bunch of learning, like he has some learning disabilities, so they'll take the other person. Like I don't want that. But to why be a would factor. you see? It? Why do you think they would see it that way? Because like there's, I think, I think there's like a, there's like a bad like, like a bad, I don't know the word for it, but like it doesn't look good to be like have a learning disability. Like they'd rather take someone that doesn't. You that's know? your impression. Yeah, that's what I feel like. Mm-hmm. So I try to keep that out of there as much as possible until I actually get there and then I get the help that I need once I'm there. Right. Yeah. And once you do that, you're going to show everybody that, like, I can do this yeah. regardless of anything, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's well, That's, that's the interesting plan. because, I mean, I just had, <clears throat> I just spoke with someone and, and she was filling out applications as well for university <clears throat> and it, it asked her, do you have a disability? Mm-hmm. And the box was... Yes or no? Yeah. I would have put no. Even that, though I did. That's a big question, right? Like, if you can't sort of say, yes, I have dyslexia, but I've learned how to work with it, and I, I'm a very self-aware student, and it's fine, I need a few accommodations. That's a big question to ask with just a yes or no box. Yeah. There's so much more to it than yeah. yes or no. That's what I thought. But she also had a bit of the same feeling as you. It's like, no, that's just going to look bad. Yeah. Yeah, I would have put in. I would have put in no, like for sure. You think look bad because you think that that is maybe saying something about your intellectual capacity. Yeah, like and like how I learn and stuff and like how you learn is fine. It's different. Like how how good I am of a student, basically. Well, you just said we just said since grade ten you've clicked. So yeah, but... you're exactly what they want, Noah. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> we will find out. We will keep. We will keep us posted. Now. In the end, Noah definitely got into the university he wanted to go to, which was amazing. And he got in where he needed to. He will be coming back, I think, at spring break. And, and we're going to come back and get even more updates from him, But which is always so much fun. But uh, in the meantime, he uh, got into the school. He's using his accommodations, and that's all in place. So I want to hear how that's working for him. And sort of in the end, uh, sort of at the end of this arc, Emanuela, she's now gotten herself into college level courses and when I first met her in grade seven everyone was quite concerned that she was even going to you know get through high school and and I remember just turning to them and saying she is going to be fine and my 
Emanuela is fine. So here she is in her own words, moving forward and moving on, shining her light in the world. Here we go. Emanuela, you're back, you're back, you're back. I told you I was so excited when your mom said you were taking your brother's time. I'm like, yes. yeah. <laughs> Yay, I want to hear it. That's why. Well, I haven't <laughs> seen you for so long. What I know. You, what have you been doing? What's up? Where are you? I haven't seen you, I don't think, since grad. No. So I don't think so. That's crazy. Anyway, we haven't seen you since graduation. Yeah. Where are you now? I'm at Mario. I know. I can't believe it. That's I was thinking crazy. about that again. We may have talked about that in the podcast, but like, mm-hmm. do you remember grade seven? What I said to you? Grade seven? I said to you. I said to your mom. I said to the school. I said, she's going to be fine. Yeah. And I, I said, yeah. yeah. And I said to you, you know, it's not going to happen this year. Mm-hmm. And it's probably not going to happen next year. Next year, I said by grade 10. You're going to be right on track. Yeah. And I was. I know. It was amazing. Like, remember your science notes and everything? I don't know how many times I posted those on, like, Facebook or whatever <laughs> and Instagram. I'm a perfect science note. Yeah. But I, you were totally on track by grade 10, and I knew it. I saw it coming. Yeah, like, I had, like, a plan in my head, like, because, like, middle school, like, I don't know, for some reason it didn't really matter to me. Like, the grades don't really matter, to be honest, until you get to grade 10. So by the time I hit grade 10... I'd already been working harder to, like, study and stuff in grade right. 9 to, like, prepare myself. But then by grade 10, I was, like, full-on always studying. You were full-on always studying. You know what? You didn't even remember. You didn't even uh, open your report cards. But you didn't even care, which which is fine. Because yeah. did, it, did it change the track of your life, what you got in grade 7? No. No. Not at all. No. no and it wasn't to say it was, like, a straight ride. Because I think by grade 10, you were, like bang on and you were like laser focus mm-hmm. laser focus I love your having a little ADD moment here I really like pencil case <laughs> it reminds me of a watermelon yeah doesn't it's it it's so cute it's watermelon like colors okay so you graduated and yeah. now now I'm at Marianopolis I'm so happy I'm so happy that was the decision yeah are you I'm happy do- there yeah I'm, I'm doing really well okay. and like I didn't think that I would like fail or anything but, like, I'm now, like, semester one was, like, it was a little bit, like, tough mm-hmm. and a little bit overwhelming just because, like, I don't know, seven classes for me, like, really, like... it's <sighs> a lot. Yeah. It was very overwhelming. So then I, this semester I took it upon myself to, like, you know, maybe give myself, like, kind of, like, an easier, like, I guess, like... Course load. Yeah. Yeah. And... I, like, dropped two classes, just, like, I just want better grades, and, like, I don't mind staying here an extra semester, mm-hmm. like, as long as I get, like, a good R score, and she's like, yeah, like, a lot of students think that they can take on seven, and then this semester have eight classes. Oh, my gosh. Yes, yeah, so that's why I dropped two, so I'd have oh six. Oh, my gosh. And she was like, no, like, it's completely understandable. A lot of kids make the mistake that they're like, I'm just going to go through it, I'm just going to go through it, and then they fail class, they have to retake it. Exactly. You end up you end up taking longer. Plus, you failed some classes, and so I I often suggest that to my students. Certainly, dyslexia, ADD, any of that stuff, anxiety. Better to take a reduced course load Mm -hmm. of your choosing. Not to say that like, well, I took eight and I I failed two, but you choose, and and then you can compartmentalize. And summer school is like May June, so it's not even like summer. Yeah. And then you can take, like, a math in the summer or something. Yeah. I think I think it's a great plan because, you know, I know for you, too, when you get overwhelmed, it's just like, whoa. Yeah. Ramps up a bit. <laughs> so, well, I think that's a great plan. That's a great plan. Okay. 
So, but you're liking it. Yeah. What program are you in? I'm in psychology. You're in psychology. I'm yeah. so excited. I think I want to stick to psychology. I don't, like, my mom is saying that I could do law after, mm-hmm. but I really like psych, and, like, I know it's, like, really long, but so is law school, so mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. mind. You've been talking about this for a long time, though. Yeah. All this stuff has always interested you. Have you taken any psych stuff that interests you? Yeah, I took an intro to psych class, and my teacher was so amazing. Oh, good. She was so nice. Oh, good. And she helped me a lot, and, like, I did really well. Like, I think I did bad on, like, one test, but overall, like, I passed. Amazing. it was really good. So your work habits are the same. You're still... Yeah. And you're self-advocating for your your accommodations, and you're Mm -hmm. taking your notes and everything. Yeah. Okay, so you may be there a little extra longer, or one or two summer courses or something, but no big deal. I don't mind. No. And after that? After that, university. I don't know where. Anyway, you're going to get there. And I remember one of the messages I sent your mom last year or something when we were chatting about something, scheduling or something, Mm -hmm. and I said... I said, oh my gosh, so exciting that you were graduating high school and said it won't be long before we're there having her graduate university. And she's like, oh, prayer, you know, <laughs> prayer hands. <laughs> she's like, yes. I said, I know you will, so. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah, I want to stay in school for as long as I can. Like, I'm mm-hmm. so scared of, like, working <laughs> in the real world. Yeah. Yeah, but you'll exciting. get there. Yeah. Once you do what you're doing and, and find your path. Yeah, but I love being a student. It's so fun. Yeah. Can you imagine you're saying that? Like, did you hear what you just said? Yeah. That's amazing. I didn't really like, like, high school, mm-hmm. like, being a student at, but, like, I don't know, I like being a student at Mario. It's really Perfect. fun. Good. Yeah. I'm so happy. There's, like, some things that are, like, like, obviously, like, being at school with, like, friends is, like, it makes you feel more, like, welcome because you know people, mm-hmm. but then there's, like, other things that are, like, not as fun, and it's, like, kind of sad, like, now, um, what is it called? Uh... I forget, but, like, it was something to do with, like, my accommodations. It made me sad. It was, like, I was having trouble with my accommodations, like, at the time, like, I just told you, like, Mm -hmm. with the whole conflict. And then my friend had told me, because he has accommodations as well, that they were going to, like, remove his accommodations because he wasn't using them. And, like, I was, like, that's kind of, like, a violation of, like, your human rights. Absolutely. And, like, overall, like, I don't know, this year, like, I'm only given, like, 33% of my extra time. And, like, I can't write my own memory aid, and I can't use a computer. Why can't you write your own memory aid? I don't know. It's just, like, a rule. Like, they don't provide that. I feel like they still think it's, like, an advantage over other students, Mm -hmm. but in reality, it's just to set us at the same speed as other students. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. So that's kind of sad, but, like, other than that, it's, like, really great. Well, again, like I say to you guys, you got to self-advocate too, right? Yeah, no. the, The accommodations are there for you. It's your choice to use them or not. There might be some classes you really don't need it, and there might be other classes like QM or stats or whatever that you're like, I need everything. And that's just, it's up to you to, you know. When I went to the accommodation center about, like, the whole scheduling issue, like, I told the lady, like, I'm nervous that this other lady is going to take away my accommodations and, like, suspend them, and, like, I don't want to sign, like, that contract, and then... I end up dropping the class and I'm never allowed to have my no, accommodations gosh. again. No, 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 no. Like for that class specifically. Yeah. And I was like, no, like I no. need my accommodation. She was like, I'll talk to her. And she right. was like really nice about it. Okay. So you got that one figured out. But again, yeah. you're, you, you're advocating for yourself. So that's what you need to do. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you yeah. got done what you needed to get done. I'm so happy you're happy. Yeah. Let's be so proud of yourself. I am. Are your parents proud of you? Yeah. Yeah. 
They can see how hard you're working. Yeah. Oh dear. Well, I can't wait. You're gonna you're gonna come back and we'll do a part three and find out where you're going next because yeah. there's a lot of options for you, and you're uh, still gonna go out and change the world. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so excited. Good. So hopefully this has been an interesting little way of going with the common narrative of all these students in their own different voices, but uh, they do share this kind of an experience regardless of of whatever other particulars they have in their in their stories. So, it's really been interesting. I'm really glad everyone took the time to listen to this. I think this is a fun way of doing things and I may try more of this. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Maxlexia podcast. If you've got any questions or comments or if you're looking for more dyslexia related stories, resources and information, reach out to me on my website maxlexia.com. Peace out. See you next time.